it's right here in black and white. Like the place where most money was made on TV is dropping dramatically. What does that say for the future of actors and writers? I don't know, man. Welcome to Creator Upload, your creator economy podcast. I'm Lauren Schnipper. And I'm Joshua Cohen. Lauren, that was particularly cheery. I know. And it's, I feel like I'm overcompensating in life right now. So don't take it to mean other than anything specific. Josh, how is your streamies outfit? Yep. We're going to talk about this. Uh, actually, this might be, you might be too busy to be on the podcast next week. So this might be the last time we get to talk about it. We are T minus what, 10 days away from the streamies. Where are we with the outfit procurement go? I thought your cheery disposition might be because you're so excited to come to the Streaming Awards on Sunday, August 27th. Oh, I am. I'm going to look fabulous. I already know what I'm wearing. We have a thread. True story. We have a thread with some jelly smackers about what we're wearing to the streamies. Um, Yes, what you're wearing has come up and our concern about that, obviously. But I was like, oh, I'm wearing this fabulous like pink situation. It's going to be great. And I didn't even know Barbie, like, you know, I I feel like it's very on. It's the moment. I didn't even I had it. It's going to be great. What are you? What's your plan? This is great content, by the way. <laughs> I couldn't have procured a better content strategy uh-huh. for me and just a very like wonderful streamies kind of like side story arc that I can really dive into is what like a B story. Yeah. I mean, maybe a C or D story. Let's just let's just be real. Yeah. 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 No, it's great. So you still have yet to answer the question. Still haven't done anything. We'll hopefully figure it out. I'm just betting that the universe is going to provide something. So can I have your credit card and just like charge things and send you things? I'm Don't happy think to that's do how the it. Universe is going to provide it. Did I ever tell you about Last Minute Lauren? So this is a true story. When I was hustling and I first moved to Los Angeles, I created a little business. And by created a business, I like did this for a few people. I'm very good at last minute finding clothes for people. Like you have a wedding tomorrow. Like I'm your woman. Like let's do it. You have the streamies next week. Like I got you. And it's even easier now because of like online. This is before it was like really like the, the, the e-commerce was what it is today. This is going back like 15 years ago. So she's available. Last Minute Lauren is available for all of your streamies clothing needs. Coincidentally, Last Minute Lauren seems like a B character in a 90s sitcom. So this all tracks. This feels and I'm fine with that. Like if I could have been the best friend in like movie, like I would have been I would have embraced that career. I'm just super stoked now. I'm at the point where this thing is happening. The train is on the tracks. It is barreling towards the station. We have a show there's a million things that are up in the air, but a million things getting decided every day. Yep. And this is the part that's super exciting. You did send me a screenshot of a streaming call you were on the other day and you blacked out all the names. I don't know. Literally, I think there were like 50 people on this call. And I'm like, hey, what are you guys doing? Like, what are- It takes a village. Maybe we should do an afterbirth mm-hmm. for the streamies. Yeah. I can tell you all about the various roles. All, all of these people play an integral role in bringing this live televised, do we still say televised, live produced production to the internet in a world-class AAA way. And I'm super excited for people to see it this year. But yeah, it takes a lot of work. It takes a whole whole village. How many like surprises? Do we have like a lot of surprises in store? Sure. Tons of surprises. Matt Pat's, Matt Pat's going to be fun. Lauren, speaking of streamy, streamy words nominee Darman, I was recently looking at his videos and we have this new product mm-hmm. kind of under wraps, kind of not under wraps called Gospel Stats. You can go check mm-hmm. it out at gospelstats.com. Mm-hmm. It is, among many other things, the best lead list you will ever have for sponsors on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So we're able to surface all the branded sponsor content on YouTube, which brands are sponsoring what creators and more. And I was recently looking at Darman's channel and I was looking at it because he rarely posts branded videos. Uh-huh. So he has this branded video from two weeks ago. The title is Mom Becomes Gamer for Selectively Mute Son. Classic Darman video. 
has 4.9 million views. It's sponsored by Genshin Impact. Guess when the latest branded video he did before that was? It's Mom Chase's Teenage Shoplifter, What Happens is Shocking. I love these titles. That was uploaded three months ago. That's from Dragon City. The one before that was eight months ago. Parents and Kids Switch Lives for 24 Hours featuring Rebecca Zamola. Oh, that's pretty cool. Monsters Legends was the brand there. But what's particularly interesting about this is Dar uploads a ton of videos. Right. So he uploads anywhere from like high teens to high 20 some odd videos a month. Mm Mm-hmm. And so in the first eight months of this year, he's uploaded 80 some odd videos or so, and only two of them are branded. That ratio, that like sponsor fill rate is way low, right? Usually you'll see channels that upload a couple times a week. Maybe all of their videos are sponsored. Maybe only one of their videos is sponsored, but at least like, let's say, let's say a channel is uploading four times a month, once a week, I feel like, and they have the ability to get brand deals at least half of those videos are going to be sponsored, maybe one, but that's still a 25% fill rate or so. Dar is just way on the other end of this. I think it's just super interesting to see, wonder what the rationale is there. Not quite sure. I mean, I'm sure he could get these brand deals if he wants them. Maybe he wants to just stay true to the films he's making. Maybe he does. I feel like he is sort of a purist. He's a good guy. I don't know. I don't know. He's also a smart guy. So I feel like there's definitely like a method here. Like, I think that's a choice. That feels like a choice to me. You know what I mean? It does feel like a choice. Dar, if you want to come on here and talk about your choice. You're more than welcome to. <laughs> talk about all your choices. Talk have. about all your choices. Let's, uh, let's yeah, talk about all totally. your choices. We love hearing about choices. Love choices. Okay, moving on to sort of big stories. So YouTube has this new samples feed that makes sort of short form music. It's really very interesting and feels like this is just like a no brainer, like no duh. So YouTube is like, they've noticed that it is the number two way that people discover new music, which is, should be no surprise. Number one, apparently is friends and family. So what this is, is that it's a personalized music-only recommendation feed that presents 30-second cuts from music videos and live performances of songs. It's meant to be like an appetizer, apparently, according to uh, Brandon Belinsky, who is the YouTube director of product management working on this. And it's meant to sort of, yeah, like give you like a tease. And then at that point, after you like sort of hear the 30-second tease, you can go watch the full video. You can add the song to your sort of music collection on YouTube. You can start a playlist, use it to create a short, um, see the album page, share it to your friends, et cetera, et cetera. This feels like a super, super no-brainer because people, it's absolutely how people are discovering music. So the ability to sort of like discover more music and do all sorts of things once you've discovered that music, I think is is really exciting. Josh, what do you think about this? So how I discover new music these days is rarely in the cars when I'm taking my kids to school on Hot 97 in the morning. Shout out to Ebro, Laura Stiles, and Rosenberg. Keep doing your thing. Rarely, though. How I discover it the most is by watching TikToks, seeing like three TikToks use the same sound and being, oh, my God, I love that sound. Let me go find it. Mm-hmm. Clicking on the sound they used on TikTok either then finding the name of the band or maybe even not because the way that sounds are associated on TikTok, if someone tweaks it a little bit, it's not gonna be associated with the original kind of pure form of that song that was uploaded. Mm -hmm. So then search around to see if I can find the original, Mm. either get that, search for it on YouTube or Apple Music or Spotify or wherever I listen to music, Mm -hmm. or take some of the lyrics I've heard, plug that into a Google search and see what song titles and artists come up. Sure. And then find the song. That's a completely like arduous, complicated process. Yeah, it seems like a lot. So this new YouTube feature on YouTube Music cuts out all of that. And I think also what it shows is just the robustness and depth and like sheer breadth of data that YouTube has, 
where they're the number one in lots of things that I think people don't really realize. Like they're the number one for online video consumption for sure. They're also probably the number one podcasting platform in the world. Well, I mean, don't, listen, we don't know all these stats, but go on. I understand. Sure, but saying. like, sure. but like they're the number one or number two search engine. I'm guessing they're the number one or number two or top three like music consumption platform in the world too. Well, this is the number two way people discover music, apparently. Well, the number two way people discover music is through the short form process. So they wanted to include that into their pre-existing YouTube music app to make it easier. So people would go use YouTube music more and use this short form feature to get these 30 second clips of pre-existing songs. But what makes this a much better experience on YouTube music is that then you can click on the song and you're like given all these different versions of it and all these different shorts that were created from it that might use that original version or might use a slightly shifted version. It's not perfect, but it's way better than the experience you get on TikTok. Plus, you can then listen to it right there. Yeah. I think it just shows when YouTube puts out a product like this, it sits on top this mountain of data and research and utilities and everything else that can make it that much better than it is on other platforms. And I spoke with Brandon Belinsky before this came out. He was super jazzed on it. I mean, of course, he's going to say this, but he seemed legitimate when he did. He said he's discovered new music through this feature after only using it for a couple of days. It's been really enlightening to also see the original music video in this like auto-cropped 30-second format because then that might turn him on to the band in a different way mm -hmm. than if he was watching some other kind of like short or other creator use the music, although that could turn you on to the music too. But he really liked this idea, and I agree, with them being able to use all the data that they have to like figure out what the best part of this video is, show you that 30 seconds of it. And then you can go into a rabbit hole of that band or artist. I also asked him about the music labels. He said, generally, they're really on board. Mm -hmm. This is just another discovery mechanism, and they know that it's going to be useful for them in the long run. When I think about music discovery, it, it makes me sad because I find it very difficult still. And I'm, I feel like I'm like, as you're talking about this, as we're talking about this, I feel like I want to try to embrace it. Because like, you know, when I was younger, in my younger years, I was like, music was such a huge part of my life. And it was definitely through like friends. But it was also like, because I had physical CDs, you could open your CD book and really like remember the music you have and look at it and be like, I'm in the mood to listen to this CD or that CD or whatever. And now because all my music is digital, it's much harder to sort of like be inspired and want to listen to something. And I just like sort of like rely on the same few like, you know, artists that I remember or the Pandora stations I like or whatever it is. One of the ways I discover music, honestly, right now is the Peloton because that's when I listen to, that's when I listen to most music because I'll usually find one. I'm like, oh, I like, I, I definitely look at the playlist before I go on and then I'm like, okay, I like this artist. And then I'm like, oh, I've never heard this, like, you know, that sort of thing. And then also, does it make me old? Because I still Shazam sometimes. Do you, do you remember Shazam? No, I Shazam all the time. Because then I'm like, what is this? Song? I won't know it otherwise. I was at a club at DreamCon in Austin, Texas at like 2 a.m. holding up my phone in the corner with other people that have children trying to figure out what songs we're playing. So Shazam does make us old, right? Yeah, totally. But I think, I think kids must use Shazam too, but the manner in which I use it definitely makes me feel old. So I'm excited. I'm going to try to embrace this and see if I can discover more music. Yeah, but Lauren, your experience isn't totally unique. There was a New York Times analysis of Spotify data that came out in 2018 or so. And it said that for men, their formation of their musical tastes peaks between the ages of 13 to 16. Men on average were 14 years old when their favorite song was released. For women, it skews a little bit younger, 11 to 14, with 13 being the most likely age when their 
favorite song was released. So I don't know if it's the format necessarily or the physicality of it or that time in life and your development when you're particularly attuned to music. Speaking of music, when I, so I went away with friends, as we know, and um, I was with my kids and the guys I grew up with and their wives, and we, we just had this great time. And one night the kids were all sleeping and we played this, I heard about this game and everybody was giving me shit about it. They're like, oh, whatever. It's called like seven songs. I was like, we could say three songs. So you go around a room and you name, and we just went one at a time, like songs that had some sort of impact. You have a story behind them, and then you have to play the song. And it was like so funny because my these are my two oldest guy friends and they're literally like playing like pavement songs. <laughs> like Green Day was coming up and I was like, oh my God, these were awful. <laughs> so it was so bad. But it's really, and then of course at the end of it, everybody's like obsessed with the game. It's really fun. I highly recommend it. So, so just one more stat on this because it's fascinating. Uh-huh. So that New York Times report analyzed every billboard hit released between 1960 and 2000. Uh-huh. So Radiohead's Creep was the 164th most popular song among 38-year-old men. So at the time, those men would have been around 14 years old when the song was released in 1993. Sure. Okay. Creep wasn't even in the top 300 songs for those born 10 years earlier or 10 years later. Just showcasing that, I mean, maybe it has to do with the song's popularity and the amount of time which it was played, or the fact about how old you are when you kind of first hear it and you're into it makes you really like it. Yeah, but wouldn't that be the same for any song that was like the top whatever? It's like the, the generation before and after don't really care about it. I don't understand why that's unique. In human experience, it makes sense, but it's interesting to see the data play out. Like, why don't kids right now love Creep? I'm like, I hadn't even thought about the band Pavement. Like, I don't think I've ever thought about the band Pavement, but I certainly didn't. I like forgot it existed until the other night. Like, but like the like people love what they love when they're young. It's it's not it's a thing. I love Dave Matthews. Like loved like loved Dave Matthews. Like loved. The first thing I ever bought on eBay was two Dave Matthews band tickets. Didn't get scammed. I used to go to Tower Records at midnight and wait for the new album to come out. I was in the fan club. It's just I mean, embarrassing now. I feel like Dave Matthews Band should have a Williamsburg revival at some point. But then by the way, they're happened. still huge. Respect. He's still huge. He's still selling out. Okay. Like this is not a certain subset of people. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Great. And I'm proud of those people. Okay. Um, one more thing about YouTube uh, before moving on from that platform is they are banning clickable links from shorts, descriptions, and comments. Um, starting off August 31st, links in shorts, descriptions, and comments will no longer be clickable. That includes links from both the video's original creator and links from commenters. Um, they're removing all current clickable social media icons from creators' channels on mobile and desktop. The big question here, though, is like if, if shorts are meant to be, and this is still, I think, up for debate, this sort of appetizer to use a word regarding, you know, when we were just talking about the um, music, you know, for the longer form, obviously you then it would make sense to have like a link then, you know, pushing out to the longer form. YouTube is apparently like working on like what a more holistic experience for that can be. That's, I feel like that's an easy solve. Like if you, if this is like a way to like sort of link the short versus the long, longer version of the video, I think, I mean, like, think about it. You still cannot put a link in the comments on Instagram, right? And you can only put like now you can put a couple links in the bio of, of Instagram, but like that has definitely helped with making the platform less spammy. And I am all for this. I, I don't think we need to be like, we're all linking everywhere. I think if you really want that experience for YouTube to be able to push to other kind of to longer form, there's a much more holistic way that they can figure that out. And I mean, I, I feel like not being a product developer, I like can envision what that would look like in a very simple way that like ensures that it's actually from that creator and it links from the original video to that longer video. Like, I'm not worried about that. And I just think like, I'm all for this. What do you think about this? Some good ideas that I've heard are you allow the uploader of the video to include links in comments that they provide on shorts. I think stuff like that could be cool. Yeah. 
I mean, I think the, uh, the danger of that is that like there are uploaders that are spammers, right? So there's, totally. it's not like all uploaders are like, you know, without malicious intent. So I think there's issues there, but it's, it's definitely a step in the right direction. Definitely. Spam on YouTube like that has been a problem. It seems to be a problem that they're taking very seriously. They remedied a lot of it recently with the new kind of YouTube handles. So you can have a lot of Mr. Beast impersonators making comments below videos saying, hey, follow me for a thousand dollars or join my crypto thing for infinite money. And that went a long way. So it seems like the product team is on top of it, just squashing these bugs whenever they see them. I hope so. Okay, next up, um, I think this is to be expected. Also kind of makes me sad. Also just like, I don't know, lots of feelings. But for the first time ever, broadcast and cable networks made up less than half of all TV use in July. This is, again, according to Nielsen. Um, this is a two years plus of tracking. Um, overall, TV use in July is a little bit up. Josh, what do you think about this? Why do you have big feelings about this? That was a heavy sigh. I know. <laughs> just I mourning know. the death of broadcasting cable television? I guess so, because I'm just like, and I know that we're like part of the problem, if you want to call it a problem, but it just feels like, you know, the days of like, like I was listening to this amazing interview with Michael J. Fox, who I love to this day, and talking about my family ties with Huge, and literally like every TV was watching family ties. Like it was some stat of like one in every three TVs in the, the entire country was watching that one show in the sense of like unity. People are talking a lot about Taylor Swift concerts right now, and it's a sense of unity. There's so much content right now. Some things that are really great about that, but like, and there's some things that are amazing about the lack of gatekeepers. And there's obviously like amazing things about having choices, but it's just like, oh my God, the glut that is out there, not having that universal experience anymore. There's something that makes me a little sad about it. Go on. What do you think? About this? Yeah, I feel for that. I think it's partly nostalgia, personal nostalgia, but then also I totally agree with that camaraderie and community that's built around these big entertainment events. Yeah. But yeah, so digging into this data, television usage was actually up overall, but the percent of that television usage for broadcasting cable was actually down. Right. So linear broadcast networks just fell to 20% of television usage. Cable came out at 29.6%. You can get out your calculators or I can just do it for you now. That adds up to 49.6% total. Mm -hmm. So that's just a hair under 50%, but still noticeable and yeah. headline worthy. Yeah. Other things that people use their TV for, obviously streaming, gaming, those types of things are considered in this report. And so Nielsen started putting out the data in this way in 2021. And it's really astounding what's happened since then. So in the first monthly rankings, broadcasting cable accounted for 63.6% of all TV use in the United States. Mm -hmm. Streaming was at 26% back then in June 2021. Mm -hmm. And now it's at 38.7% as of July. Mm -hmm. So just a staggering decrease and increase in those numbers. I mean, we all know this is coming. This is just getting more and more, I think, accelerated as content gets harder to find, cable gets more expensive, people are bifurcated in their choices and leaning more into their niches where they can find stuff on YouTube for free or these other types of SVOD services. Cable and television networks have an incredibly tough road ahead of them. But this also like speaks to like the writer and actor strike that are going on, like all of them, you know, wanting more money. Here's the problem with people watching less cable. Like cable was the most brilliant model ever because people paid twice, right? You paid to have your cable subscription and it was ad supported and there was so much money. And now Netflix, yes, they have like an ad supported model, but like nobody's using it really, relatively speaking. And I pay my whatever I pay a month, pennies compared to what I paid for like my overall cable package. 
And so it's just like, it, the money's not the same. It's just not apples to apples in terms of like residuals. And I'm not saying that like the actors don't have and the writers don't have, there's a, there's certain things that I actually think are very, very valid in, to, in, in what they're sort of asking for, but just like, there's just, there's less money. And like, you can talk all you want about, like you want the CEOs to make less money and that might be valid, but that's not going to make that, that doesn't make the difference. That's not going to make the difference that they want. And so it's just, this. it's right here in black and white. Like the place where most money was made on TV is dropping dramatically. What does that say for the future of actors and writers? I don't know, man. Yeah, it's wild. It's wild too to think about. I asked my wife the other day, what percent of US YouTube consumption she thought took place on connected TVs? And she said, I don't know, like 3%. And it's over 50% now? Yeah, no, it's huge. Yeah, yeah. It's just wild to think about the content that people are consuming on televisions now versus just a couple years ago. Also, of that 50% of US YouTube content that's viewed on TVs, what do you think that is? Do you think it's like mostly kid stuff? I would yeah. love to know a breakdown. Oh, it's probably like vast majority of kid stuff, right? It's a lot of kid stuff. I think it's a lot, a lot of kid stuff. I used to think it was people coming home after work and turning on their TV instead of turning on NBC or CBS or whatever. They speak into their mic what they want to watch on YouTube. Mm-hmm. But I'm also now thinking it's a ton of kid stuff. If you're a YouTube or Nielsen, you have that data, love to ask you about your choices. Just come on the pod. Okay, Josh, upload downloads. Um, I think this is really interesting as an upload. So Marie Elise Droga, who's the Visa SVP head of global and North American fintech partnerships, is talking a lot about creators, um, which I think is really smart. I think this is a very interesting quote. She says, we see the creator economy emerging as the digital equivalent of tomorrow's small and mid-sized business segments or the new breed and next generation of SMB clients. Yet we recognize that even though creators typically have the same needs as a traditional small business, they are treated as individual consumers for the most part, which I think is right, you know? A lot of the needs that they have, even if you're a creator that doesn't have like a lot of ancillary businesses and stuff, right? Like you might have an employer, you might need some cash up front, like to do certain things and expand. And oftentimes it's incredibly difficult. Now there's a lot, what I will say is also, there's a lot of other sort of startups out there that are trying to tackle this problem. Um, Carrot being one of them, um, you could argue Spotter and, and Jelly Smack being one, you know, giving cash up front. So this, I don't think that they're new, but like you can imagine with Visa's history, infrastructure and access to capital, like them getting into this game, I think is really, um, you know, notable. She said, our efforts to uplift creators include working with platforms and payment providers to allow creators to be paid faster and more efficiently, such as the ability to push funds instantly to a debit card, a wallet account, or in some cases, a bank account in real time or in one to two business days, which is also like a real thing for creators. A lot of times, you know, they don't get paid like net 30 days if it was a brand deal, you know, and and I don't know if they're talking about brand deals because they mentioned platforms. This is probably starting with um, AdSense, which makes a lot of sense. But like a brand deal, you could get paid net 90. You know what I mean? Like it could take a really long time to get paid. So... I just think this is very notable when uh, a company like Visa is really getting into this game with creators. And I'm very curious to see if this sort of like really happens. And you mentioned that, but they actually have a partnership with Carrot Financial, which is this company that started a couple of years ago, fintech startup in the creator economy that gives credit cards to creators with these incredible incentives for stuff that they normally spend money on, like tech services and production equipment and all those different kinds of things. They also give you pretty cool customized credit cards too. But I feel like this is the first time I've heard Visa directly speaking to this. Like, you know what I mean? Totally. But they have a partnership with Carrot. When Carrot announced their last $70 million raise, $30 million of that was debt, $40 million of that was equity. It was led by Signifier. They also announced this partnership with Visa, where they were rolling out this new card. I talked to Eric, he was really excited about this too. 
designed specifically for creators to improve their personal credit history, which is a big issue. Normally, you get a credit card for your business. It's a business card, doesn't affect your personal credit card history. But then when these creators try to go get a mortgage or loan or whatever else, they don't have a lot of credit card history to back it up. So this helps them with that. Right. Okay, Josh, I think we did it. Go get an outfit for the Streamies. Stream Awards is Sunday, August 27th. Tune in 6 p.m. PT. At Streamies on YouTube and other streaming social profiles. Uh, but if I still need an outfit on Saturday, August 26th, I know I, I got last minute Lauren. Oh, yeah. She's available. <laughs> Maybe I'll put her to the test. Okay. That'll be some good content for the pod. What do you think? Oh, yeah. If it happens or doesn't, Lauren will see you next week on Creator Upload. Today's show was produced by Lauren Schnipper and Joshua Cohen. Hey, that's me. It's ended by Jason King. And original music is by London Bridge, who you can check out on Instagram at London Bridge Music. Make sure you subscribe to Creator Upload really wherever you're listening to this thing. While you're there, give us a rating, leave us a comment. If you want to talk, hit us up at info at creatorupload.com. If you like our show, please recommend it to a friend if you love it. Recommend it to everybody. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.